Good morning, everyone. My name is Chris Gertner. I'm from uh, North Carolina in the United States, and I suppose that makes me an expert on country and Western music, like we just heard. And I'm actually going to be sharing with you from a song today, not a country song, but the Song of Moses. And it's found in uh, Deuteronomy 31, 30 through 32, 9 is the passage I'll be focusing on. Moses was about to die, and he left his people with a song. So the passage reads, Then Moses spoke the words of this song until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly of Israel. Give here, O heavens, and I will speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work, is perfect. For all his ways are justice a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is he not your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you. Your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. And the Song of Moses goes on for 43 verses. It's the third to last chapter of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, what Jews call the Torah or the law. And it's followed by these poetic blessings given to each of the 12 tribes of Israel, looking forward to their time dwelling in the land that the Lord had promised to Abraham hundreds of years before. And then this is followed by the narrative of the death of Moses just before the Israelites enter the land. And if you read through the Torah as the Lord's work in preparing the promised land uh, to be a people for his own, for his own possession, dwelling in the land, then these few, few chapters are a really fitting wrap-up to this. Now, over the past few months, my devotional reading had been focused on reading through the Torah, and so I thought it appropriate to share from this song and, and see what the Lord may have to say to us through it. And from the first few verses of the song, you get the sense that this is a song of celebration. It's a hymn of praise for what God has done. And yet if you back up to the passage right before this song, you'll see its purpose, the purpose of the song. So verse 19 in uh, chapter 31 says, Now therefore write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness 
for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know what they are inclined to do even today, before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel. So this song was not intended to be celebrating God's people. It was a witness against them. In verses 1 through 9 in our reading, we see this addressed already in verse 5. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked, twisted generation. Now, I suppose all across the world, in many, many cultures, there's this notion of like father, like son, right? Um, Just the other day, one of my sons and his Chinese friend came to watch my baseball game. And uh, after the game, my son was playing around with his bat and his ball, running around, and, and the friend's mom said, wow, he, he walks just like you. And I said, yeah, my wife calls him my little mini-me. Uh, and there's something I really like about that as a dad. And the Bible also has this notion of like father, like son, or at least that it should be that way. And so when verse 5 says that they are no longer his children because they are blemished, it doesn't mean that the Lord broke off his relationship with Israel because of their sin. It means that God's children were no longer living in a way that reflected who their daddy is. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells his disciples about showing love to their enemies. Showing love and praying for people that persecute them. Jesus said, you have heard it said... Love your neighbor, which is a direct quote from Leviticus 19, 18. And hate your enemy, which is not a quote, but arguably um, is touched on in Deuteronomy 23, 3-6. That passage says that an Ammonite or Moabite may not come into the Lord's assembly, even to the tenth generation, because they did not come to meet you with food and water when you came out of Egypt, as well as for other reasons. But what did Jesus tell his followers? He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, how is that being a son of our Heavenly Father? Because He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. And He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? God loves people who don't love Him. If you do the same you have the great reward of being like your father. Now, through the Song of Moses, um, though it's given as a witness against the Israelites, yet it is introduced in such a way as this. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. I'm thankful for the month of June in Beijing. Because I feel like that's when we get about half of the rain for the year. Uh, it brings a much welcome green, co- green color to our city. And I'm, I'm sure it does a big part in supplying water to the city for the year. Now, the initial audience for the Song of Moses, they've just seen 40 years of wandering in desert wilderness. And are invited into gentle rain upon tender grass and refreshing morning dew. This song is a witness against what the Israelites did in the desert, turning to other gods. And what... They did once they entered the land, right? Turning to other gods. And yet, it's an invitation. Though the works of God's children were corrupt, verse 4, the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. 
a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. God's people were disloyal to him, but he is faithful to them. And though the witness of this song it stood against them, they were invited to the renewal, to the refreshment of turning back to the Lord. His people were often unconcerned with justice, even for their own people. But the Lord was concerned with justice for them and for justice for the stranger. He is just and upright. And as we see the Old Testament develop, we see this continual admonition by the prophets for God's people to seek justice because the Lord is just. And woven through the notion of justice is to care for the poor, for the weak, for those who can't speak up for themselves. Now for several centuries after the birth of the Christian church, uh, throughout the Roman Empire, pagan priests, they, had to, they really had to struggle with how so many people in cities were turning to faith in Christ. And one of their problems was the plagues that struck the empire at different points in history. Now, plagues are a problem for any kind of person. But what was happening here? The pagan priests, they couldn't even get pagans to take care of their own, right? They were afraid, oh, the plague's going to be passed on to me. And they lamented that not only were Christians caring for their own sick and nursing them back to health instead of leaving them to die, but they were also caring for pagans, many of whom then came to faith in Christ. God, our rock, and his concern for justice, his concern for care for the weak, is something that has stirred the hearts of Leah and I, and it's led us to take some steps to be involved in God's work of justice in the world. And uh, I want to introduce an example of one of those works of justice. We can have that slide up. Uh, the International Justice Mission. It's a global organization of Christians that protects the poor, Christian or non, from violence in the developing world in four ways. We can look at the next slide. There's a, the words are probably too little, but you can think of these, those, these four symbols up here. One, by rescuing victims. Get them out of the place where they're in danger. Number two, bringing criminals to justice. Hold slave owners, traffickers, rapists, and criminals accountable in court, working with the local government systems. Number three is restoring survivors, giving them support and the tools that they need to heal and thrive. And number four is strengthening justice systems. Stop violence before it starts by helping strengthen the local justice system. And I want to sh play a short documentary film called The Deep Place that was made by IJM, International Justice Mission. Um, it's a dramatization of the work that they're doing in Africa, in the country of Ghana, um, to help stop the, the slave, enslavement of children in the fishing industry there. So let's take a, a short, short look at that as an example of Christians who are displaying to the world that our God is good and upright and just. Our God, his, uh, all his ways are justice and upright. And this is just one example of Christians living that out. And I encourage you to pursue how God, our rock, who is just in all his ways, might lead you into pursuing justice for the poor and vulnerable. So into this, in this invitation to listen to God, his people are admonished to remember. And much of this remembering comes through interaction with the elder generation. Verse 7, remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you. Your elders, and they will tell you. And a word to you parents. How much of the works of God, how much of your experience in your spiritual life are you sharing with your children? 
Are you regularly taking time with them for such conversations to happen? Not just for them to download information about Christian doctrine or moral lessons from you, but to open up about your own failings and shortcomings with them. You may find that this breaks down walls, and they may start bringing their own questions to you in an honest spiritual search. And whether or not you have you know, biological or adopted children of your own, still consider the role. How can you be a spiritual mentor to someone else to share with them what you've experienced of the Lord? The Song of Moses calls God's people to remember what God has done. And as much as the later books of the Torah are focused on Israel and how dwelling in the land and obeying God is for their benefit, this song admonished God's people to remember when the Most High gave the, to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. So God's blessing to his people is not for their benefit alone. An inheritance, that's something given by a father. God has always had a heart to bless the nations. The Apostle Paul may very well have had this passage in mind when he spoke before influential people in Athens. And he said in Acts chapter 17, And he made from one every nation of men to live on the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their habitation, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel after him and find him. Yet he is not far from each one of us. And God didn't just sit passively and wait for the people groups of the world to come and find him, but he blessed a people to be a blessing. The promise given to Abraham was that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through his offspring. And this promise reaches its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus came and tore down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. So that outward things like circumcision, dietary laws, they would no longer divide who belonged to God's people and who was on the outside. God was making one family from the people of every nation. God determined the times and places so that they would seek him. And they didn't, really. And on the whole, neither did God's people seek him. So what was God's response? Later in the Song of Moses, we see, They have made me jealous. With what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. And very likely, this is speaking about the accounts of, of God using other nations to punish and discipline Israel and Judah when they went astray. How they would be enslaved to other nations until they turned back to the Lord. Now, Paul picks up this passage in Romans 10 19. But this time, he applies it not to a pagan kingdom enslaving the Jews, but he applies it to God opening the door to build his church with Gentiles so that the Jews would be jealous and then say, hey, I want in too. Chapter 11, verse 11 of Romans, Paul asks, he says, so, so I ask, did they stumble by rejecting Jesus in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, Salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion be? So in all this working out, what, is, what does it mean that Jew and Gentile are now one family of God? Paul's summation is, for God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. And with such a thought of God's work among the nations, Paul can do nothing but 
break into praise. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. The Song of Moses speaks of God giving an inheritance, and that shouldn't be a strange thought in our mind, right? An inheritance is what a father gives to his child. What we have, we know, is a gift from God. We receive it from him. So what could we possibly give to him? And yet somehow in verse 9, God puts himself in the position of receiver. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. A portion is what a son received from a father. Or we, you know, we, like I mentioned earlier, the, the Israelite tribes receiving their portion of the land. The Levites, they did not receive a portion, meaning they didn't have their own land. But the Lord was their portion as they ministered in the tent of meeting and then later the temple. Their income, it was based off of tithes and offerings that people gave in their sacrifices. The Lord was their portion. Now, if someone had no portion, no inheritance, it would, it would undo them. They would be dependent on others. They might have to sell themselves into slavery or at least work as a hired hand. But here it speaks of the Lord himself having a portion, a heritage. That's something really, really important to him. Something that if he lost it, it would undo him. And the Lord's portion is his people. His people are that precious to him. We heard last week about the Father's heart for us. And one such story that Jesus told was about a son who said to his father, Give me my inheritance now, not after you're dead, but now. Basically, I wish you were dead already. And the boy squandered it. It was gone. The inheritance was more important to him than his father. But to the father, it wasn't the material inheritance that was important to him. It was his son. He wanted his son back. And he welcomed his son back into the family. That's what God is like. So the song of Moses, it was to be a witness against God's people. In this way, it functions much like the law itself. It can't save, it can only condemn. So to welcome us into his family and to give us an inheritance in his kingdom, God didn't just sit and wait for, for some kind of death to happen to pass us on an inheritance, but he sent his son to willingly die for us on a cross and rise again to accomplish our salvation. And if this morning you realize that you've said to God, I wish you were dead, just give me what's mine. If you've dealt treacherously with him, and we all have to one degree or another, I invite you to come back to your father. Come into his family. He's just and upright. His work is perfect. Come back and begin to live like father, like son. And if that's an invitation that you're seeking out and open to this morning, uh, I'm going to pray for us. I want you to consider that and to consider listening to the Father's voice, to come to him and, and I or, or others, uh, elders can be available afterward to, to come and process that more. Let's talk to our Father. Heavenly Father, I praise you that all your ways are upright and just and good and your way is like a refreshing rain or dew upon the earth and 
Lord, though we wander in, in deserts, whether it's those we're led through by our, our circumstances or, or that we've ch- those that we've chosen as we've wandered off from your ways, uh, we pray that through your spirit this morning you would send that gentle rain from your word, from your gospel to us. Please help us not be like the foolish and senseless people that, that we often are, um, but help us to remember, remember what you've done for us most clearly in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And I pray right now you would speak to those who maybe have never come into that kind of relationship with Jesus or those that have strayed very far from it. Lord, renew them. Renew us all. Help us to live like Father, like Son. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.